it is great to be with this morning. Um, I'm excited because uh, I get to hang out with all of you on my birthday, and so that's kind of a fun thing. I haven't got to do that. Thank you. Thank you. I haven't got to do that ever before, so that's a new experience for me. Um, I enjoy it thoroughly. I wanted to throw a quick shout out to everyone that helped plan or work on or showed up at the picnic last Sunday evening. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's great to have conversations with folks outside of this time-constrained Sunday morning. Um, it's, you can get so much deeper and just talk with folks and hear their, their, their story. Um, and that is truly one of the things that we desire to do. So thank you for being a part of that. And uh, the next opportunity you have is just around the corner in September. where We're going to try to get everyone together again. So watch for that. It's actually already in your bulletin this week. So uh, make sure you get that on the calendar so you can be part of that. Um, I was asked on behalf of the food pantry folks to just thank you and continue to thank you. You guys have done an awesome job of contributing to the food pantry each week. It's helping them not have to spend nearly as much money and resources filling the food pantry because you guys are doing such a great job. So keep it up. Well done. Um, we're really excited about that ministry and your guys' help in doing that. Uh, I know I, I mentioned it last week, but uh, we are always in need of servants um, in, in the basement with our kids, uh, loving on our kids. And so if you could help even next week, uh, I know there's some openings just for next week and all of September's calendars out there as well. Man, we would love to have you just love on our kids for an hour each week. Uh, what a blessing it is to do that. I know I started doing that when I was very, 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 very young, helping my mom in the twos and threes class and uh, I've always enjoyed it. And I know you will too. It's such a blessing to help those, those young ones learn about Jesus. Uh, I mentioned last week, Forest Park is right around the corner, so here very soon, you're going to have an opportunity to get involved if your time allows during the day to possibly spend just an hour out there at the school any time during the day, then uh, there's going to be an opportunity for you very soon um, to go out to the school with us and just meet some teachers, so watch for that coming up very, very soon. Um, one thing we just wanted to mention, just throw out there, we're getting ready to start our fall small groups, our fall community groups, and we always like to put the, the word out that if God is leading one of you, uh, you've established some relationships here, maybe you've been here a long time and you have an idea for some folks that you'd love to invite to be a part of a small group with you, um, talk to us. If, if that's you, God might be leading you in that direction to just help head one up and facilitate one. Uh, you don't have to create anything. Um, you're literally just a facilitator. We give you all the resources. So um, if that's you, uh, see me, we only need a couple. We really only need a couple more folks. And so if God is leading you in that direction, let me know, and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, last thing, there's, there's something coming up here soon uh, in September. Uh, on September 15th, we have, um, we're, we're going to join a nationwide movement. There's about 13,000 churches across the country on September 13th that sponsor this thing called Back to Church Sunday. If you've driven around Terre Haute and places like that, you've probably seen some signs in some yards and things like that about this this day. And so we're going to jump in and be a part of that on this September. I believe it's September 15th. And so what we're looking for right now is just a few of you that would be willing to just kind of form a little prayer team to begin praying for that event. There'll be more information coming up in the, in the very shortly, in the weeks to come, about that event. But we are excited for it, uh, excited about the opportunity it provides, and it's going to require some legwork on all of your behalf, Okay. Because we're inviting folks back to church. We all know people that were once and are not now. And here's our chance to reach out to those people as well as those that have never been a part of the family of God. So just look forward to that. Begin praying about that. And if you're a, if you're a person, if you're a prayer warrior and you would like to jump in and be a part of that prayer life in the, in the next about five weeks praying for that event, let us know. Just fill out that connect card and put prayer team on there or something to that effect. And we will get in touch with you this week um, to give you some very specific things 
to pray about. Let's, let's open with a word of prayer here before we dive into God's word, shall we? Father God, what an incredible morning it is to be in the house of God. The, the opportunities we have in this country, I, I know every one of us in this room takes it for granted. Some of us, not so much because some of us in the room got the chance to fight for this freedom. And so they have a little bit more of appreciation. Some people in this room have family members, have been to foreign countries, and they've come back and they appreciate the freedoms that we have here. But most of us haven't. Most of us are here today because it's what we do. It's just who we are. It's what we've always done. And the reality of just the fact that we can be here on this morning is miraculous. And so as we dive into your word, searching for answers to questions that we have, I pray that you open our minds and our hearts to what we'll experience this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the final week, officially, of the questions answered series. I wanted to thank you for the questions that have come in. We've actually gotten several more in um, since we kind of stopped collecting the answer, the questions. But what I've done is I've created a file, and I've marked the ones that we've addressed, and I'm leaving the others in this file. And my prayer is they're going to be addressed one of three ways. Either A, there'll be another sermon series somewhere along life's way, where we'll just take another batch of questions when we get enough in, we'll just, we'll just go at it again. B, we might use them as kind of filler moments between sermon series or things like that. But C, one of the ways that God often works is he will answer the questions that you have within the texts that he's chosen for us to study. And so I'll keep those on hand. And when I'm reading through a text and we're preparing for a specific message on a specific day from a specific book, I'll go, hey, wait, there's the answer to that question that so-and-so asked. It's right here in the text. And so we'll just bring that question right into the text that we're studying naturally. Okay, so watch for those to happen and keep the questions coming in. What you must understand is we want this to be a free flow of information. That's part of our role in ministry as leaders within the churches. When our folks have questions, we love to try and answer those questions. And if I don't know it, then I seek out guidance from others. I absolutely do not hesitate to do those things. I got a question last week that somebody turned in, and I immediately went to one of my spiritual mentors, a theologian that I actually know. I had him in class, and I immediately went to his resources, found a great answer to that question, and immediately sent that off to that individual. So just be aware. We want to open that line of communication and see how God is leading you to learn and grow as people of God and help guide and direct us as a body of Christ and where we should be going. So just, just keep that in mind. This is the fifth and final question. Here is the question from today. When Jesus speaks of turning the other cheek, a.k.a. forgiving 70 times 7 times, are there conditions to this forgiveness? It's a good question. We'll get to the answer here shortly. But what I want to do first is I want to point you to your bulletin. Hopefully, everybody got at least one per couple. At the very top of that bulletin is a question for you to make a list of the top three things. Now, if you only have one bulletin per couple, it's okay. You can share you're married. It's fine. You can make two lists on the same piece of paper. Now, this is a pretty personal list. I will just go ahead and inform you of that if you need to write in code so nobody cheats over your shoulder. That's perfectly fine. Um, hopefully, we've all grown past those days of looking over someone's shoulder, and nobody ever did that. Okay. All right. We're good. That's good. Nobody ever participated in that. Um, the last thing, though, is this. I know that some of you Maybe it's because you've been in church for a long time. Maybe it's because you haven't, and, and you're kind of new to this whole thing. When the challenge is thrown out in, in, in service to participate in some way, like this, for example, most of you go, oh, there's a bulletin. It's blank. It's going to stay that way. I refuse to participate in what we're doing in service. And I just want to ask, is there a biblical reason why you refuse to participate in what we're doing together? For us, it's just a supplement to learning. You know, just listening is one of the poorest ways to learn anything. Did you know this? 
Just listening is one of the least effective means of learning anything. Yeah, it is. And so when you write, when you participate, when you see visually things, or you experience things, then it becomes so much more personal, and you're so much more likely to remember. So here you go. You're going to make this list of of top three things-ish that you've messed up in your life so badly that you had to ask forgiveness from someone else. Yeah, I told you it was going to be a personal list. Three things in your life that you messed up so bad that you had to ask someone for forgiveness. Now, spouses, this is not a list for your spouse. Okay, this is, that's not what we're talking about. This is a serious personal list. We all mess up every single day. Some of our mistakes, silly, careless, we just forgot, we just messed up, oops, my bad. But as you know, some mistakes in life can be life-changing. They can even be deadly. And if all we did was fall short of perfection every day in such a way that the only person that was affected by our mistakes was ourselves, then probably humanity could come up with some way, some form or fashion, to get past those things and just move on with life as if nothing ever happened. But the reality is, all of us know this, that when we mess up, we've all come to realize that our mistakes often hurt others. Whether it was an intentional mistake and we intended to hurt them, or completely an accident or a poor choice, our mistakes, our words, our actions can have a negative impact on other people's lives. Now, some people would say, I don't really care what people are thinking. It really doesn't matter. I I ask you to rethink that statement just a little bit by asking you this question. Do you care when somebody else's words or actions or mistakes affect you? Because the answer to that question will always be yes, which in in, in fact answers the first question that I ask. Of course, we should absolutely care about that. Look at the list that maybe you began writing earlier. Who Did those things affect, think specifically of the people that were hurt as a result of your actions. They have an impact on other folks. When we mess up, when we fall short of God's perfect design for life, that's simply called sin. When we sin, we miss that mark, the perfection that God has in store for us. And we all do it. There is no denying that. Every single one of us listening mess up. Even those that don't believe in God, that don't believe in the concept of sin as we define it, will admit that they've messed up in life and that their mess-ups have affected other people. It's a reality. Paul specifically lays it out this way. He doesn't pull any punches in the book of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all, every single person. In Romans 3.10, if we thought, well, maybe I can get by that. No, he reminds us there is no one righteous not one now wait a minute chris but there's good people i'm a i'm a decent person i don't make lots of mistakes i've never you know killed anybody i've never you know broken any of the big 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 rules if you will or maybe i didn't even realize that what i am doing the way i'm living the way i treat my others the way i treat my spouse the way i treat my kids the language i use what i do with my friends or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whatever was wrong that's a lot to take in understand the purpose of this morning is not to convict anyone of any sin, any way in which you've fallen short of the glory of God. That is not our intent. That is the job and the role solely of the Holy Spirit. Our intent in mentioning this is to remind everyone listening that every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us. Even if we're a forgiven sinner, we're still a sinner, saved by grace alone. And because of that, everyone that's listening needs what we're talking about today. And that's the gift of forgiveness. God offers us forgiveness. All of the things you thought of a moment ago and you didn't write down because you didn't want anyone to accidentally look over your shoulder and see it. Yes, God will forgive every 
single one of those things if we bring them to him. All, we all, every, every human being needs God's forgiveness. We've got to understand that even if we're already followers of Christ, his forgiveness is from day to day to day as we continually fall short in our walk with him. So there's at least two people, two groups of people listening. Maybe more, but we can probably lump everyone into one of these two categories. First, there are those that do not know God's love in this way yet. They've never asked for, nor they have they been given the gift of forgiveness that God offers, the freedom that comes from taking all of the sins, the bad things that we feel guilty for in life, and giving them up to our Heavenly Father. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8, records the beauty of forgiveness. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always <coughs> accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. How beautiful is that passage. First John 1, 9 reminds us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can be purified. Our sins can be erased, separated us from us as far as the east is from the west, buried and remember no more. The reality, though, is um, we can't seem to do that. We can't seem to do that with our own sins. We, we can't seem to forget them. Have you ever noticed that? You're feeling pretty good about yourself, and then Satan, of course, comes along and reminds you of how worthless we, in fact, are. And I want to challenge you every time he does that to remind him, yes, you're right, I, I have sinned, I've made mistakes, but I'm forgiven. Satan, leave me alone. The second group here probably accounts for a good percentage of the folks that are listening. Those that have accepted the gift of God's forgiveness, it's phenomenal. You've embraced it, you've felt its impact in life, you've experienced that gift. You know the power of forgiveness, you know the freedom you just sang about, you know that freedom personally. It is incredible, isn't it? That would be a perfect spot for an amen, wouldn't it? If you don't believe the freedom that you find in the forgiveness that only God can offer is incredible, then we need to talk deeply because I don't believe you've accepted the gift of freedom from God just yet in the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't know what that feels like, because I know there are people in the room that have fully experienced that forgiveness and can appreciate it. But you see, for believers, there's an extra step to forgiveness. God willingly and always forgives us. And then he commands us to go and do likewise. You see, the world in which we live is bent on revenge. You know that. If someone has wronged you, you have every right, especially in our country, to get them back. Social media, of course, has taken this to a whole nother level, hasn't it? Forgiveness is the opposite of revenge. And, of course, revenge is the opposite, opposite of anything that Jesus would ever offer us. Is forgiveness easy? Of course not. It's incredibly, incredibly hard. It often touches something much deeper inside us. You see, when someone has harmed us in some 
way, when they hurt us with their words. Maybe it was a situation where they abandoned you. Maybe it's a situation where you were physically or emotionally hurt or maybe even completely decimated in some way. And you've held on to that ever since. See, that's when forgiveness is hard. You see, God doesn't condone the things that were done to you, the ways you were treated, the words that were used, the harm that was done. It is not okay in any universe, in any part of God's creation that that happened. God hates sin, and he hates the sin that was done to you. But he still insists that we must forgive. I cannot imagine how many times God has been asked the question that today's message is based on. How many times do I have to forgive them? Do I even have to forgive them? Well, yes, you do. Just like he forgives us. And that's where Jesus gets real personal. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Yes, it's another one of Jesus' classic if-then statements. One is directly tied to the other. If you forgive, then he will forgive you. That is a very pointed statement. And again, if you are in the business of responding, a simple, ouch, Jesus, that hurts. Like, that's painful. How are we supposed to do that? That seems impossible. Why? Why do you want us to do that? Why don't you want us to harbor these things and hang on to them forever and let them destroy us inside our entire earthly existence? Because <laughs> that's ultimately what happens. You see, there's that freedom and forgiveness both for you and I when we're forgiven, and then that same burden of sin is lifted from our lives. But you see, that same forgiving spirit, that same burden can be lifted and freeing whenever we don't hold others past wrongs against them. It changes us. You see, forgiveness is not an option. We don't have a choice. God requires us to forgive. It's the least we can do. Why? Because he modeled that forgiveness for each and every one of us. I found this story a long, long time ago, and I'll continue to use it probably every time I speak on the subject of forgiveness. It's by a man named Robin Dugall. It says this, begins with passage, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Have you ever thought about how absurd the idea of forgiveness is? When another's actions have hurt you, what is the first thing that always crosses your mind? Whether it's in traffic or in life, it doesn't matter. Forgiveness? Sure, I'll let you get back in in front of me after you haven't cut me off or not let me in or fill in the blank. Or is it revenge? Most of us want the people who have caused us pain to experience a little bit of discomfort or suffering of their own. For most of us, we understand the power of forgiveness. But we get caught up in our own anger and our own resentment. There's a story about a man in Spain who had a teenage son. Like a lot of relationships with adolescents, this one was strained. It eventually deteriorated to the point where the son ran away from home. His father, moved with deep and passionate love, began a desperate search to find his son. After months, he finally decided to put an ad in the personal section of the local paper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your dad. <laughs> On Tuesday, the man showed up at the newspaper office to discover 800 men named Paco who had come 
we're all seeking forgiveness and healing. We might accept love, the love and, and love Jesus for the forgiveness he's, forgiveness he's extended to us. But despite this fact, most still have a hard time accepting the reality that God has called us to be forgiving people. Jesus actually said that he would not forgive us if we withhold forgiveness from others. Withholding forgiveness is not the way of a Christ follower. Jesus calls us to give up our perceived rights and stop demanding retribution. Jesus calls us to speak the truth and love to ourselves, to the people who have wronged us, and then give the gift of forgiveness to them. Yes, the recipient doesn't deserve forgiveness, but neither do we. We've all either been hurt and or done the hurting. We're all in the same boat as human beings. Jesus willingly and lovingly gave us the gift of forgiveness, and then he calls us to do the same. Now that passage is so, or that, that, that story is so well put. I pray that you consider what Mr. Dugall relates in his story of forgiveness to you. But I want to close with the greatest, potentially, maybe not, but at least in my opinion, the greatest good and bad example of forgiveness in all of the scriptures. It comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 18. So if you've got your Bible or phones or whatever you use, go ahead, open it up. Matthew, chapter 18. We will start in verse 21. You'll have some time to turn there while I begin. Peter is, of course, the source of the question. Peter is our spokesman before Jesus. If you ever have some crazy question for Jesus, you probably can find somewhere where Peter asked the crazy question. He alone seems willing to ask these hard questions when no one else will. As a matter of fact, Peter's question is the source of the question which we're addressing today. He simply asked this, how many times do I have to forgive my worthless, backstabbing, traitor, friend, neighbor, brother, sister, mother, father, son, daughter, employee? Go ahead, fill in the blank with whoever it is you don't want to forgive anymore because you're sick and tired of forgiving them. Because it's exactly why Peter asked the questions, and don't tell me you've never felt that way about someone. Because we all have. How many times Jesus. Let's look at how Jesus answers the question. Keep in mind when you hear the story, the passion behind the words of the story. It is so hard when you read a text to just not read it and see words, but instead actually see the people that Jesus is talking about here. Then Peter, verse 21, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations might say seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll, I'll pay back everything. The, master's, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees. Same response, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debts. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours, but because you begged me to, 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The anger his master, in anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured and to pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now Jesus answers the question with a parable, a story given to illuminate something unknown by use of what is known. Does anyone in here know about debt? Go ahead, raise your hand real quick. Anyone in here know about debt? Okay, a few of us. All right, okay, great. This parable also comes with something Jesus often uses, two very specific examples. The first one, he starts it with something he says quite often. The kingdom of heaven is like. Have you ever asked or wondered, what on earth is heaven like? Raise your hand. Just want to see. Okay. You know, Jesus says this a bunch of times. The kingdom of heaven is like. Just a thought. Find those places where Jesus says that and then read what follows. And guess what you'll begin to discover? What heaven is like. That was, a, you, sh you should have been able to connect those dots. I'm trying to help you put those things together. The second thing Jesus tells us is something very specific, that the kingdom of heaven will simply not tolerate, period, end of discussion, no questions asked. And they're not easy. Peter basically wants to know how many times I have to forgive somebody. Peter absolutely is probably leaving out a very important issue here. Peter didn't just randomly come across this question. He has motivation. What is it he is unwilling to forgive anymore? Who is it that has just ticked him off for the umpteenth time and he's tired of dealing with him and he wants Jesus? I don't want to deal with this person anymore. My guess is it was probably one of the other 12 disciples who just keeps annoying him to death. When can we get rid of this guy? He's worthless. Hence the motivation for his question. We don't know, but there was a reason. Peter's question indicates something that all of us probably feel the same about. There should be a limit to how many times we have to forgive someone. What is it, Jesus? Let me go, okay, seven times? All right, I will forgive him seven, but I'm keeping track. And when I get to seven, ain't no more forgiving you. We're out of here. And you know that's what Peter would have done. Absolutely, and you know it's what we would do if there was a number listed. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus' answer destroys the entire question that Peter even asked. Jesus starts in a very absurd place. Peter asked either seven or 70 times seven or whatever. It doesn't matter. He could have said seven million. It doesn't really matter. The number is irrelevant. Peter was, or Jesus was letting Peter know, hey, it doesn't matter how many times they sin against you. You just need to forgive them. There is no limit to forgiveness. But then Jesus takes the absurd, unlimited example that he gave Peter, and he makes it real practical and real real and even more ridiculous. The entire concept of the parable is completely impossible for Peter to understand and for anyone else to go, oh, well, that makes sense. I get it. Because you can't. Now, this sounds easy in practice. Jesus tells us, you must forgive, 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 and forgive. He's just forgive. That's easy, right? <laughs> of course not. The reality of forgiveness is something quite different. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. But why is forgiveness so hard? <laughs> well, first, it's not natural. It's not natural. The natural human impulse is to get even, to exact revenge on someone. Forgiveness goes against the grain of human existence since the fall. Secondly, forgiveness is hard because it's simply not fair. To forgive without just repayment, it offends our sense of justice. We want to be vindicated. We want the other person to pay for those actions. Jesus' example is as absurd as God's willingness to forgive me. 
and forgive you. The master in this story, of course, representing God, is simply collecting what is owed to him. And believe it, contrary to pop culture today, there's nothing wrong with that. The servant owes more than he could ever repay, 10,000 talents. Now, I always read these stories as a kid, and then I look at the footnotes in the Bible to say, okay, how much is a talent worth? What does that look like? Well, just for fun, I did a little research. You could do some research, too, find different numbers. That's just fine with me. I found the most consistent example I saw, and that was this. One talent in Jesus' time was worth or was approximately 33 kilograms in weight of gold. So one talent was about 33 kilograms of weight in gold. In today's market, at least the day that I wrote this, a kilogram of gold is worth $45,998.39. That would mean that a talent of gold is worth about $1.5 million. That is a ridiculous number. No one has that money. No one understands that. And so what did Jesus do with that number? He multiplied it by 10,000 to make it impossible, completely ridiculous. There's no way this could ever happen happen. Do you realize that that no amount of 10,000 talents would be over 15 billion dollars in today's cash? Furthermore, on Forbes 2019 richest people in the world list, there are less than 100 people in the entire world that have a net worth of more than 15 billion dollars. Do you understand the absurdity of the numbers that Jesus is throwing at his audience? That's exactly what he's doing. He's making this so ridiculous that they're all like, are you serious, Jesus? Come on, this is impossible. His answer is absurd. There is no way this man could ever possibly repay this amount. Just like there is absolutely no way you or I could ever pay the debt for our sin. Remember Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. There's nothing we can do except pay the ultimate price for our debt. Like this man is in the story, was charged but instead of life his master took everything the man did possess his wife his children all that he had sold it until the man could repay his debt which once again i'll remind you was impossible it's well within the right of the master to do so all he was doing was collecting what he was owed by whatever means possible was it harsh yes absolutely was it deserved yes absolutely that's called justice yeah once you realize the terrible situation the man had put himself in, keep in mind the story. It's the man's fault. He's the one that took out the debt. It's all on him. It's his doing. He is the one that chose this path for his life. You, can you feel the man's emotion in that story as he realized that his wrongdoing over this long period of time isn't just going to cost him at this point, is it? Now it's going to cost his wife, it's going to cost his kids, it's going to cost him his future, all because of his behavior. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you have responded when you finally realized that your actions have caught up with you and now it's time to pay? You might try to work it off, you might try to earn money, you might try to pay it back, but this time your family's suffering while you're trying to do it. Can you imagine the scenario? Could you stand the pain and suffering that was occurring all around you. I'm guessing most of us in the room would have been a lot like that man in the end, and we would have fell begging before our master for mercy. And it's at this point that the master, our God, shows him a favor, a favor that could not be earned, 
a favor that could not be repaid, a favor that was in fact the opposite of what he deserved. That favor, of course, those of us that are followers should know as the word grace. Punishment owed, when fa- but favor was bestowed. Is exactly what this man experienced. What a relief for that man. Could you imagine as he got up from the ground crying, the tears of joy now that he had as he paraded off, skipping, thankful, excited about the freedom, the bondage that has been taken off of him, the weight that has been taken off of him in his life. He now has a new life as a result of his master. There's an immediate transition. The man now walks into freedom. I ask you for believers, those of you that have accepted Christ, when does the kingdom of God begin for you? I'll tell you the answer. The moment you accept your Lord and Savior, Jesus of Christ, the kingdom of heaven begins from that moment. It does not end for all eternity. Are you with him yet? No. But the freedom, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, his presence in your life, in, within you in the spirit, begins the moment you accept Christ, and it continues through all eternity. Yes, we'll have some difficulties along the way, but there's no need to have the same perspective or point of view that we had before since our life was impacted by the Savior of the world. We can now live our lives with a hope of a future with Jesus, with a newfound freedom from guilt, from sin, from shame, with a restored relationship with our Creator. We literally are a new creation in Christ. (laughs) But as this parable illustrates, there are some conditions that we must adhere to to live this present life the way that God wants us to, to experience everything that God has prepared for you and I the rest of our days here on this earth. There are some conditions for us to follow. The freedom in this life, even in Christ, can only be found if and when we are willing to forgive others. Look at what happened to the unforgiving servant. What does he do with his newfound freedom as he runs away excited, probably to go tell his family this incredible news? What does he immediately do? He uses this freedom that he's gained to exact revenge on someone who owes him. He finds the servant who owes him nothing, nothing compared to what he was just forgiven. And he throws him in jail. (laughs) Needless to say, the master is not all that happy about his decision. You wicked servant, what are you doing? Did you not learn anything from what I just did for you a few minutes ago? Clearly not. God relays to us that's exactly what will happen to us if we choose to live this life without forgiving others. The term used in this passage, the unforgiving servant is tortured until he pays back all that he owed. Do you know what the only thing, the only thing that this wicked servant must do to relieve this torture is? One word, forgive. Forgive. Did you realize that this story isn't about eternal punishment? This story isn't about not going to heaven. This story isn't about anything. This story is about the here and now. It's about how God forgives us and then how we have the privilege and the chance and are commanded to forgive others. And if we choose not to, we can expect the same thing to happen to us. In this parable, it's referred to as torture or suffering. This is not a form of punishment. This is a form of discipline, teaching us that our suffer, suffering in this world so many times is caused by our unwillingness to forgive others. We bring it on ourselves. 
the moment we choose to forgive completely as Christ forgives us, then that torment is legally canceled. The judge eliminates that debt, and we can move on and live in the freedom that God has given us. There are always consequences to this, and you know this, real and painful consequences when we choose not to forgive. Some of us in this room today are struggling with that very idea. And what has it resulted in in your life? I can tell you it's bitterness. It's anger. It's apathy toward life. It's an uncaring spirit for others because you're harboring these grudges and these things in your life. But here's the other thing, because this unforgiveness doesn't just apply to others. That is a big, big factor because it can be hard to forgive someone who hurts you. But did you know what? So many times the hardest person on planet Earth to forgive happens to be yourself. Because you know what you've done. And you can't let it go. The same rules apply when we're unwilling to let God's forgiveness carry over to ourselves. If this is a struggle for you, don't leave here today without meeting with someone here praying with someone here. This is a real issue in life. Let us help you. Let us share what this freedom means, this kind of freedom that you can have. Come before God and ask for that forgiveness if that is what you need or that help forgiving someone else because he absolutely will grant it. He'll grant it in the form of a chance meeting later on today with that person that you need to forgive. And you'll be like, well, that's odd. Why would I meet them today? (laughs) It wasn't odd at all. That's God's divine intervention is what we call that. There might be someone you just don't want to forgive. Let me ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, because if you are, forgiveness for that person is not an option. We don't get to pick and choose who or what we will or will not forgive. That's the whole point of the parable. It's Peter's motivation and the initial question, Jesus, how many times? How many times? As a follower of Jesus, we're compelled to follow his example, which we fully have experienced in our own life. We must forgive others as he forgives us. This is one of the greatest ways that you can show God's love to others around you, those that have hurt us, those that need his love and forgiveness as well as ours. All you have to do is look at some big, giant stories you've seen in the news. You know, those really tragic incidents where the victims come and seek out to forgive the perpetrator. And you've all seen that and probably wondered, how on earth can that person forgive them? They don't have a choice. That's how. Because the power of God in their life, because the Spirit moving in their life, and so many times what happens to that forgiven person? (laughs) They come to find forgiveness for themselves through the blood of Jesus. So I ask you, will you respond to that? Today, here in a moment, you're going to have a chance to respond throughout the rest of the service, not just for communion, but to this idea and this concept of forgiveness. And that will all be explained to you later. But here's what I wanted to present I've been in the Christian church my entire life. And it seems as if the only time that a person within the church responds is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And today, even that is few and far between. I ask you, when did Jesus say the only time you should ever come before me is to just accept me? Or does he ask us to continually come to the throne for forgiveness? To continually come to his side for help, to continually call upon his name every single day of our life. Paul writes these words 
We have to work out our salvation. doesn't mean we have to earn it. That's not it at all. It means we're figuring it out as we go. And a topic like today is a hard-hitting topic, and we know that. All of us can wrestle with this issue from time to time, and so you're going to have a chance to do a little wrestling with God through this issue today. Throughout the rest of service, I pray that he moves you to respond to this. Father God, I have no idea why you're willing to forgive me, a sinner. A, a sinner who claims to be your follower, a sinner who portrays a person in love with Jesus who I very much am, but I fall short every single day. Yet you somehow find it in your grace to forgive me. And the story illustrates so well that uh, that's just how. That once we accept your forgiveness, we're now called upon to share that same forgiveness with others. And that very thing could and likely will be the thing that leads those other people to Christ as we explain to them why we're doing it. We know there are people listening who have sin harbored in their heart. There's someone who has offended them. Maybe that person isn't even living anymore. Maybe that person isn't even someone they can find or get in contact with. But yet still they're holding on to that and it is destroying their life. They are being tortured like this wicked servant who refused to forgive someone. Their life is a mess because of it. It's affecting their relationships. It's affecting their jobs. It's affecting their health even. Father, all they must do is release that and forgive that person as you have forgiven us. And when we think for just a moment about how absurd it is to forgive someone who's harmed us, all we have to do is think of all the times we've sinned against you and how absurd it is that you would ever forgive a sinner like me. I pray that people are moved by the Spirit to respond to this and to take it to those that need forgiveness. And if that person is themselves, Father, they just must forgive themselves. I pray today is the day they can begin that process and begin the healing and finding the freedom that can only exist in this lifetime if we're willing to forgive. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.